Go and have a seat. God, we do thank you uh, this morning, as well as every single day, if our faith is in Christ, that his blood shed for us uh, is a reason to give thanks and is the reason that we can stand innocent in your presence. Uh, thank you, Father, that you were pleased to crush your son, that he might give his own life as an offering for us to die in our place as a substitute. And we thank you that before he died, he lived for us perfectly, perfectly loving you and loving others and ultimately dying as a substitute. And thank you for his resurrection today, uh, that we can have the hope of new life as well, having been raised from the grave, as it were, and putting an old manner of life to death and walking in newness of life. And thank you for breath to sing. We thank you for family, church family to gather with to celebrate who you are and what you have done. I pray that you would lift our, our hands from the things of this world to cause us to clamor for the things of heaven where we are maybe captivated and stressed and anxious by the things of this world, would you lift our eyes from circumstance to be able to see beyond the moment to things that are eternal? Would you increase our faith where we're doubting or we're discouraged? Would you encourage us? Thank you for your love for us. It's not based on how we perform or what we do, but it's based on your character and your work through your Son. We love you, and we thank you for your word, and we need, need it again to be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We need it to preach to the deepest part of our souls, and as we launch into the second week talking about parenthood, God, we thank you that you are the perfect father, that you are a father to the fatherless, and that you discipline and instruct as a faithful, perfect father, and so I pray uh, for us as children in this room that we remember that we have a perfect father. And for the children in this room, that they would be convinced this morning, maybe in just an additional way, of the blessing of obedience to their parents. And for the parents in this room, God, I pray that you'd grant us faith and courage, patience and wisdom to know how to point future generations to Christ. And that you'd win our children to Christ that you'd use our faithful example and our faithful discipline and instruction to pay the path to the cross where they'd find life and blessing in Christ. And God, would you use us as a church family to help shape and mold each other even in this sometimes difficult journey of parenthood and where any parents in this room maybe are discouraged, God, I pray that you'd lift their eyes to, to know once again just the sweetness of grace and motivate us all to please you Motivate us all to love you more, having been together today, than when we came in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. You can grab your Bibles if you're using a chair Bible. We're going to be on page 920. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians this morning. We're going to look at four brief verses in Ephesians 6 is where we'll be ultimately. If I haven't met you, my name is Matt Moorhead. I'm one of the pastors here. And so good to be with you. So good to worship with you this morning. A couple quick things before we dive into our time in the Word. Um, pastor Chris, who's one of our pastors here, who uh, normally leads uh, worship on Sunday mornings for us, 
Um, he's worshiping with our church plant, Crossway Burgaw, in Burgaw, North Carolina, this morning. So there's another Crossway worshiping in Burgaw, and Pastor Jason, who we sent out a little bit over two years ago, is leading that time, but Chris is leading worship for them. So they actually got like church chairs this week, and they got a worship leader for Sunday. It's going to be like like new car smell on Crossway Burgaw this morning. I was like, man, this is top shelf. But uh, you need to be praying for their time. Uh, just said it's really sweet. Also, just want to acknowledge we had two babies born this week. So, so Joseph Matus to Sergio and Mandy um, Matus, and then Beck, Andrew McGee to Tyler and Lauren McGee. Yeah, so really exciting. Uh, the babies keep coming. Yeah. I assume neither one of them are here. We're just assuming they're not. I'm, I didn't glance, but... Wherever they are, we just give them a round of applause. I'm sure they felt the full effect of that wherever they are. Um, but it does, it does kind of serve as a visual reminder for us is that we, uh, we have a ton of babies here, a ton of children in this church. And some of the motivation to do a parenting message is based on the volume of children we have in the church, to be sure. But maybe more of the motivation is just the, the vital part that parenting plays in shaping the people of God over generations. The profound place that parents play in, in disciplining and instructing children that they might turn their gaze toward God and follow him all the days of their life. And so my biggest struggle this morning is really, quite honestly, just trying to figure out what not to say in the time that I have. There's so much that could be said and... <clears throat> If you've been around for any amount of time, we preach over the years different parenting messages. And one of the challenges when you talk about parenting, there's a couple of challenges. One is that there's so many voices, there's so many books, there's so many sections of bookstores dedicated to how-tos, and some of that is helpful. A lot of it isn't helpful. And so what I want to zoom in on and, and actually kind of help us by just kind of anchoring to one particular text is to look at obedience and discipline and instruction this morning. And that's one of the challenges we feel. And some of you may feel the challenge of just feeling like this is irrelevant to you because maybe you're not a parent. I shared a couple things with you last week. Because we're a family of faith, you know, this is relevant for all of us because God's word is instructive on everything that it speaks about. And so it's useful for us, wherever we are in our stage of life, to understand what God's word says about parenting. For those of you without children, it doesn't negate your ability to encourage parents. So it behooves you, it behooves us to know what God's word says. We seek to be an encouragement to the parents around us. Uh, certainly for those of you in the throes of parenting, whatever season, this will be a particular maybe benefit and application to you. And for those of you who are on the other side, having gone through parenting and now don't have kids in the home, just want to encourage you to remember what a powerful uh, tool you can be in the hands of God for those who are behind you in the journey and look for ways to encourage those that are earlier in the process. I've been a parent now for almost half of my life, which is wild to think about. Almost 21 years. My oldest is sitting right up here and, and my grandson now is on the scene. I'm trying to figure out how to be a grandparent, how to parent adult children. And, and our youngest is nine. She's unfortunately sick this morning uh, with Haley at home. But uh, parenting has been... Um, in addition to my marriage, the most gratifying and joyful experience of my life while simultaneously being the most refining experiences of my life. Yeah, <laughs> it was a hearty amen. Where you didn't say it, I trust you said it internally, yeah. 
And it could leave us disoriented and discouraged and just scrambling for answers. And I think that's why there's so many how-to dynamics in the realm of parenting. And I'm not going to get into the how-tos as much this morning as just trying to speak to the principles that Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 gives us. And just a brief summary of what I shared last week. We looked at Proverbs chapter 29 and the picture that without prophetic vision that people perish. But blessed is he who keeps the law. And so the picture was this, that God's word gives us a vision for life and for parenting. And so the vision we develop as to what parenting should be and what it should look like should be derived from the word of God. And that's going to be what drives our priorities. So biblical vision dictates and drives biblical priorities. And that's the same thing that's true of our own individual lives. But this vision... The prophetic vision of God's word is the standard. And so I talked about how the book of Deuteronomy, if you've ever read that book, is like a a vow renewal book where basically the people of God, having wandered because of their disobedience in the wilderness, are now recalibrating their lives to the word of God. And so very much it's like a ceremony where Moses preaches messages to them to remind them of everything that God has said, and they renew their commitment to follow God and to love him. As we'll see in Ephesians 6 this morning, God uses word-centered families to demonstrate the power of the gospel. God uses word-centered families to demonstrate the power of the gospel. Let's go to Ephesians 6. We'll read verses 1 through 4. This is God's word, and it's what it says for us this morning. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So because we're not studying through the book of Ephesians right now, we make it our pattern to preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. We'll get back there uh, later this fall. Ephesians 6 lands in a place in this book that's on the tail end of of a hinge point in the book, much like several other of Paul's letters, he deals with um, the the principles of the faith on the front end of the book. And in the middle point of the book, he hinges and kind of shifts toward the practices of our faith. And so Ephesians 6 finds itself in a spot where basically what Paul is talking about is that what does it look like for Christians to be light in the darkness, to be filled with the Spirit, to be children of light, in the darkness, and gospel-centered, word-centered families are an expression of being those who have the light of Christ within us. And so he goes in after talking about marriage at the end of chapter 5. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And so really simply put, kids, if you're a kid in this room, if you're a child in this room, maybe sub-18, still in the home, It's right to obey your parents, and it's wrong to disobey your parents. That's a simple command of Scripture. And it's good for us to hear elementary, simple things because that's the command of children, obey your parents in the Lord. The word obey, you see it in Acts chapter 12, verse 13, of the servant girl who comes to answer Peter's call on the gate. And that's the the call for children is answer the call of your parents and submit in your response to their command, to their instruction. Obedience means responding to the command, submitting to the requests of your parents. The in the Lord provides protective guardrails and an assumption that parental commands should be aligned with God's commands. 
and not sinful or harmful, so it's not absolute in so much as parental commands don't violate God's commands. Children are, are to obey their parents. For it's right. It's right. Kids to obey your mom and dad. The echoes go out throughout the land and in our family. Kids, it's, it's right to obey your mom and dad. And parents, this means it's right to require obedience and wrong and unwise to allow disobedience. So we're going to talk a fair amount about that this morning. But let me just kind of illustrate this for a minute. When you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, you know, Moses' sermons in Deuteronomy to the people of God, to the nation of Israel, they're akin to messages from a spiritual father to his, to his children. But even more so, Moses' sermons or messages from God as a father to his nation, to his children, the people of Israel. And as God's children recalibrate to his vision of what it means to be his children in the book of Deuteronomy, there's a massive emphasis on obedience, a massive emphasis on obedience to the word of God. Let me just illustrate it briefly. Deuteronomy 13.4 says this, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice You shall serve him and hold fast to him. You can find a sentence like that all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, if you count up all the obeys and walks and do them and keep or keeping them 82 times in the book of Deuteronomy, there's an illusion or direct reference to obedience. That's enough to put two in each chapter plus some. The point is this, that being a child of God requires obedience. That God as a father requires obedience from his children. And so if our, if our parenting is going to reflect the heart of God for our children, it means that obedience is required. It's at the heart of a biblical vision for being a child of God. Obedience is also at the heart of a biblical vision for Christian parenting. Obedience to parents is right. It aligns with God's righteous and good standard. And one maybe kind of juxtaposed against or in contrast with what happens at the, the end of days, at the end of culture? You see this in Second Timothy. One of the evidences of the disintegration of culture is disobedience to parents. Second Timothy 3, 2 through 5. So at the end of days, godlessness in these last days, verse 2, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Here's a word of encouragement. Kids, wherever you are, look up here just for a minute. Some people want to convince you that you can't make a difference for Jesus as a kid. Let me just share with you, as a friend, as a brother in Christ, and as a pastor, people will see Jesus in your life when you obey your mom and dad. Like You will make an impact for Jesus in this world when you obey your mom and dad. And it's just so simple, but it's so profound. So kids, just remember, like, to, if, you don't, if you don't believe that you can make an, an impact for Jesus in your life, whether you're 6, 7, 8, 9, 14, 16, just know that one of the chief ways you can display the presence of Jesus in your life is obeying your mom and dad. 
It's right. It's right. And in this section in Ephesians chapter 6, that's what's being said. You can have gospel influence through your obedience to your parents. Parents, your family dynamic will shine as light in the darkness where disobedience is the norm. Where it's the norm. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, there's this brief picture given. Verses 5 through 7, it says, See, I've taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land. This is Moses talking about to the Israelites that you are entering to take possession of it to the land. Verse 6, keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Verse 7, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? You see it there? Obedience to the word of God, and I would translate this to obedience to children to their parents, displays something to the people of the nations in the sight of all the peoples. Obedience to God is a sign in the sight of all the peoples that we belong to God. And we'll talk about just outward conformity. We'll get there. But obedience to your parents is a sign in the sight of the peoples that you belong to God. So Paul now points back to the fifth commandment. Exodus 20, it's reiterated in Deuteronomy 5, and he accentuates how following God's vision for our lives will lead to blessing. Verse 2, we just read, it says, Honor your father and mother, directly quoted from Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, commandment number 5. He comments it's the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. God provided his law and his word for us, and it's for our good. It's for our good, for our benefit. You see that statement, for our good, in Deuteronomy 10, 13. When children obey their parents, God promises there will be blessing. I don't know how many times I've uttered that statement. My girl's right here, hoping Taylor could probably attest to this. How, how many times I've said there is, there's blessing in obedience, there's consequences in disobedience. That is a major theme in the Old Testament, It's a major theme in the Bible. You follow God, it'll go well with you. Maybe not in the ways that we think or we want, but ultimately and finally to be aligned to God and his vision for your life is a place of your flourishing and your blessing and your benefit. The culture, your heart, your friends, your enemy will seek to convince you that obeying and honoring your parents will rob you of life and opportunity. But this is God's idea. It's his design, and he is good, and he's put it in place for your protection and for you to flourish. And so for those of you who have parented younger kids, you know that the reality of this is like for your kids to obey you, like when they are little, quite literally will save their lives. I don't know how many times I save my kids from certain doom, whether it's cars or whether it's stairs or just all sorts of crazy shenanigans throughout their life, you know, but you know that if your kids obey you when they're little, you quite literally, there's blessing in protecting them from physical harm. When they get older, there's a more emotional, maybe in physical protection that comes as well. But honoring your father and mother as well may change as you age. And there's a point in time where you, you swing from obedience to parents to honoring older parents as they get older in life. And as you get older in life. As adults, it's no longer obedience, but demonstrating care for and valuing your older parents or even grandparents. As I was preparing, I want to comment on this as well. There is gospel 
impact. There's a light that's displayed even in honoring parents who, quote unquote, are dishonorable. Some of you in a room this size, some of you didn't have an experience of parents that based on their behavior, their parenting of you, you would maybe qualify as honorable. But when you show value and respect and honor, as much as it depends on you to your parents, it pleases the Lord and is a gospel light in this world. Now we go on, and this is where we'll get to the meat of maybe the parenting perspective in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So this is one of the most vivid pictures of how the gospel transforms parenthood. The gospel changes the way we parent. So Paul's command here is crazy when you put it in the context of the Roman emperor and the empire. So there was a a law called Patria Potestas, a Roman law outlines called the power of the father. So fathers and the Roman Empire quite literally had absolute authority over their children. So if a child owned property, it was the property of the father until the father died or there's some other procedure that allowed that to take place. A child really wasn't deemed valid until a, a father actually picked it up. A father in the moment when the baby comes into the world, could either pick it up or walk away from it. Walking away would be either death for the child or for it to be given away as a slave. To pick it up meant that he accepted the child. Fathers in the Roman Empire had the ability to inflict capital punishment on their children. And so Paul injects into that civilization this notion about, hey, fathers, when you care for, discipline your children. Don't provoke them to anger. Don't frustrate them. Don't exasperate them. Don't stir them up to anger. It's remarkable that this is taking place in that setting. But into the dark setting of the day, Paul shines the light, Ephesians 5, 8, of gospel-centered fatherhood. Now, what this doesn't mean is that your, your kids should never get angry with you. One of my favorite preachers, H.B. Charles, said, hey, if if your kids are never angry at you, you just ain't doing it right. Because there's undoubtedly countless moments where your kids are frustrated with you, they're angry with you because they don't agree on a particular decision or direction. But this isn't talking about building a vision for your parenting or a strategy in your parenting just to minimize the conflict in your home. That's not what this is talking about. The picture here is that God's vision for parenting isn't just to minimize disagreement with your kids. If that's you, you're not a parent. You're more like a caterer. The prohibition to fathers is don't frustrate your kids. Don't stir them up to anger. Don't be unreasonable in your leadership. Don't make unrealistic demands or provide a climate where your kids feel like it's impossible to please you. Let me just highlight two things that came to mind when I was thinking about this. Maybe ways in which, particularly for you dads, this command, this prohibition, and the exhortation that comes later apply to both moms and dads, but the particular force is with dads. Let me just say this. I think volatility is something that will exasperate your kids. If you lack self-control, don't expect your kids to have self-control. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. He says, when you're disciplining a child, you should have first controlled yourself. What right have you to say to your child that he needs discipline when you obviously need it yourself? 
volatility can frustrate our children because it really breeds a sense of hypocrisy and inconsistency. And that's the second thing I would say is hypocrisy. Are you a do as I say, not as I do parent? And I highlighted last week, and we get to to bask in the, the glow of the grace of God and taking communion this morning, but we need to be confronted with our inconsistencies. But the difference between inconsistency and hypocrisy is change. If you're inconsistent your whole life and never as a believer confess to it and make it right with your children, then you've bled into the space of hypocrisy and not just inconsistency. And the gospel gives us the ability to embrace our inconsistency, confess it before God and men and children, be changed by the grace of God and move on and do better as it were. Empowered by the grace of God to align our lives, to recalibrate to his vision of what it means to be a parent infused with the power of the gospel. And we'd be able to say, like in Proverbs 23, 26, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. As I asked last week, if your children literally went lockstep and followed your steps spiritually, where would it lead them? Would it lead them to Christ? Like a growing relationship with Jesus. Volatility and hypocrisy can be a couple of many ways that we can exasperate our kids. Don't really make them do things, but model for them what servant leadership looks like. Feed them. Don't frustrate them. Train them. Don't torment them. That's the picture that Paul is given here. But instead, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the exhortation to fathers is to nurture your kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So discipline or training. It has the idea of training through corrective discipline. Let me just play out for you a conversation I've never had with my kids. Like you don't, when, you, when you're getting ready to go into Target, you're know, like, hey, Hope, when we go in here, I want you to pick up something you want when she's little. I want you to pick up something you want. And when you pick it up, I want you to look at me and I want you to tell me that you want it. And I want you to tell me that you want it again. And when I don't respond, I just want you to keep telling me that you want it, okay? And when I tell you to put it down, I want you to clutch it as hard as you can. And I want you to look at me with an angry face. And when I tell you to put it down again, I want you to throw it down. And I want you to say that you're mad at me, that you hate me. You know, like, that's, I've never had that conversation with my kids. Because I, I didn't have to train my kids when I was little to to defy me or to not share the toys. Like, ultimately, we think about discipline, we have to be challenged with the fact that ultimately this, is, this starts when, with understanding the, the spiritual condition of our kids. Obedience has to be taught. You have to teach your kids how to obey. You have to confront them with their own lack of self-control. Our children are naturally disobedient and defiant because that's the human condition. Psalm 51, verse 5 in Ephesians 2. So unlike disobedience, obedience has to be taught. And here's just a small cross-section of some Proverbs, some of which will sound familiar to you. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen 15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. It's like your, your child's heart is wrapped up in folly and foolishness. And the rod is like unwrapping that folly to lead them to a place of wisdom. Proverbs 29, 17 and 19. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. 
He will give delight to your heart. That's the interesting part right here, verse 19. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined. For though he understands, he will not respond. Some of us need to take heed to that word right there. Because we can try to, even when our kids are little, we can try to argue our kids to death. There's a certain stage of life where you're not going to debate your child into obedience. I'm not going to get into the how-tos and ages, but some of us need to be reminded that, hey, when your kids are really little, disobedience speaks a better word than debating your kids on what's good or bad because they have to be trained as to what obedience is and what it's not. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Come on, moms, where are you at? Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Discipline is a vital part of discipleship. That's one of the main things I want to leave you with. Discipline is a vital part of discipleship. As we think about that picture of God's word being the standard, let me just kind of put discipline in the construct of God's word as the standard. Parental discipline is a righteous and loving response to a violation of God's standard with the aim of restoration to or alignment with God's standard. It's not just some emotional reaction aiming at trying to create a more comfortable environment for us at home. Ultimately, discipline and instruction comes with a a breaking of the standard that God has in place of whether it's self-control or just flat-out obedience to our instruction. Its, Its aim is to move our children back to a place of aligning with God's standard. Biblical discipline is leading your child somewhere. Biblical discipline aims children to God and his ways as the source of life and blessing. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod doesn't just spoil his son, hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Biblical discipline is an act of love. That's what we see there. He who loves him is diligent to discipline him. As a result, it's unloving to our children. Please hear me when I say this. The sentence is crafted on purpose. It's unloving to our children to constantly cater to their choices, redirect them instead of reprove them, and excuse defiance as some cute expression of youthful individuality. A church family, I have seen this. I've seen it recently. And here's what I would say is like when your children are little, particularly when they're in that space of a year to, year to four years, year to five years, it is a really big deal for your children to say no to you. It's a significant thing when you see defiance against your authority. And so there are moments where, quite honestly, like you just have to, you got to win the moment. <laughs> it's like children is based on like, there's just a lot of moments you got to win that moment with your kid. So, I can't tell you how many like standoffs I've had at like an electrical socket. Like my kids, like I look around at our house, they're like, there's boundless places for you to play. You can play with me. Like we'll play a game together. Like you can hide and seek all over the place. They're like, nah, I want to stick my finger in the light socket. (laughs) And it's just like, I mean, it's like a standoff. Like there'd be some Western music in the background. If I could whistle really well, you know what I'm talking about. It's like the saloon doors open. They're like, here I go. I don't, I've had so many of those moments. And so here's, it's funny, but you could, you could put that moment at the dinner table. Don't drop your food. They're just holding it. Don't drop your spoon. Don't throw your spoon. 
Don't do that. Like, don't, don't touch that breakable thing in grandma and grandpa's house. Like you, whatever setting you want to put yourself in, there's countless moments where I think we can shit, kind of just brush them off as just like cuteness at times. I think we're guilty of this at times. But in reality, at the heart of it, there's a defiance against your authority. And I just want to encourage you as a pastor, as a brother who loves you, particularly those who have young kids right now, those moments of defiance are incredibly important. Those moments of confrontation with your will against theirs. I say it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I actually really mean it. You have got to win those moments. It doesn't mean become violent and just fly off the hinge, but you get down and you look at them and you'd be like, you will not say no to me. Recently, I saw an interaction with a parent and their kiddo. The kiddo's maybe, I don't know, two, three-ish. And mom wanted the child to do something. Child looks up and says, no. And mom's just like, uh, the equivalent of just kind of just rustling their hair and be like, oh, let's get in here and do this. I'm like, no, 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 no. I wish I could roll it back and like, hey, just pause. Even if all you can do is get down low and get right at eye level with them and say, you will not disobey mom. You will not disobey dad. Why? Like, why is that important? Because that's the way that God deals with us as his children. Like, it's consistent with the way that God deals with his kids. It's not just because it works better practically. Because when you think about the word of God, you can, you can look at Deuteronomy. You can just look at the way that God speaks about his word as the place of flourishing and blessing and life. And is, he, is, is God satisfied with partial obedience? Nowhere in the Bible will you get that sense. Is he satisfied with delayed obedience? No, he's like, walk with me now. Obey my word now. Follow me now. Serve me now. Why? Because in that space is a place of your flourishing and blessing. And the gravity of those moments, as funny as those moments can be, and we've had to laugh through some of them because they're so blatant over the years, but by and large, we have tried to make it a pattern of winning those moments of defiance to make sure our kids know the gravity of what it means to obey their mom and dad. And I would share this with you practically. On the Richter scale of things you experience in concern and parenting, if your child defies authority as a general kind of marker, that should be really high on the Richter scale of your concern as a parent. And if you need help trying to reel that in and figure it out, we need to pray with you. But don't take it lightly because they need to also obey the authority of those in their lives. Obedience isn't optional. Train them to obey your voice and the voice of authority. J.C. Ryle, in his booklet, I'll call it, it's not quite a book, and we'll have this as one of the resources on our website here in the next week or so, called The Duties of Parents. He says this, says, don't wonder why a child disobeys their father in heaven when they have been acquainted with disobeying their father on earth. It's heavy, but I believe in the truth of it. Because if, you, if your son or daughter is, a, is accustomed to rejecting the authority of their earthly mom and dad, or if you're a single parent to you as a, as a mom or a dad, don't be surprised when they find it difficult to connect the, the importance of obeying the voice of their heavenly father. It's good for us to feel the magnitude of that. 
Discipline is a vital part of discipleship. Leverage the moments of discipline to provide fruitful instruction. That's the second layer that Paul gives. Bring up your children. Nurture them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The instruction and admonition carries more of the idea of teaching. And a couple of brief thoughts I'll give here before we transition to take communion together. Biblical discipline in its instruction should focus on the heart. This means biblical parental discipline is so much more it's so much more than making your kids more reasonable at home and more acceptable in public. Isn't that a temptation? Like sometimes we just convince ourselves, hey, if we can just get through this parenting thing without like just huge embarrassment in public, that'll be, hey, we'll have won. No, you won't. Like it's not just about conforming behavior. And, and the acts of parenting in the moment are not just to make your life easier. In fact, I know it well. Haley knows it well. Our biggest moments of struggle and not disciplining our kids is out of sheer laziness. Like we just rather conform behavior because it's easier in the moment and disengage from the heart. But parents, you have to leverage the moments of discipline to provide fruitful instruction. Proverbs 23, 13 kind of gives this connection to the eternal matter at stake in discipline. It says, do not withhold discipline from a child, if you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol, from hell. Biblical discipline and instruction is aimed at making your child wise unto salvation. Maybe a few questions I would give you to consider. Even as you face those moments that, you know, this, this takes shape a little bit more as your kids get older. But here's a few questions I would encourage you to ask. Is how can I speak to the heart not just conform behavior. Like, how can I speak to the heart in this matter? Whether it's selfishness or anger or lying. Like, how can I speak to the heart of the matter? How does their decision draw attention to sinful desires and affections? How does this moment highlight their need for the grace of Jesus? I heard this picture as I was studying the last couple weeks. I don't know who to attribute it to, but the picture in mind was that every moment and there are lots of them. Every moment of sin and rebellion can be to us as parents like a brick that we can pick up for our kids in that moment and build with it a foundation to understand the gospel. So every single moment of discipline, particularly as your kids get a little bit older and they can understand the truths of the gospel and they can understand grace and mercy and the need for discipline, every moment represents an opportunity to help them build a foundation to understand the gospel. You know what it also does? It gives us opportunity, us as parents with our children, to identify with the struggle against flesh and blood and sin and selfishness. And we can say, you know what, mom and dad need grace. That's part of the admitting and confessing vulnerability and inconsistencies to remind your kids, hey, you, you haven't graduated from the grace of God. You still need Jesus too, just like they do. To be able to identify, like, I understand, like, being selfish. I'm selfish all the time. I get it. But you can't act that way. That's broken the standard of what God has for you and for us as his people. And you need to make that right with your, with your sister. But in that, there's this robust foundation of the gospel that can be built over time. Every moment has opportunity embedded in it. I want, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to flip to your right to the book of Hebrews, and this is where we'll finish our time in the Word this morning.
The book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Sorry, I don't have the page number. It goes Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, 1 through 3, John, Jude, and Revelation. So you can move backward from there if you need to. But Hebrews 12, many of you are familiar with it. The writer of Hebrews talks about discipline. He talks about the nature of discipline as a father. God is a father to his people as his sons. And there's a couple elements I just want to accentuate as we read it. I won't spend a lot of time here, but then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Hebrews 12, verse 5, go 5 through 11. It says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? This is quoting Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. There you see that principle is that biblical discipline is motivated by love. Verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Just make note of how many times the word son is used. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. God's discipline in our lives demonstrates that we are in fact his children. Otherwise, if he didn't discipline us, we'd be illegitimate, not his at all. Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Interesting note, how discipline breeds respect, and I would even say security in the family relationship, the relationship between father and mother and child. We had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject, submitted to the Father of spirits, and live for they, these earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. There's that movement toward godliness. It's moving somewhere. Discipline is fruitful in discipleship, necessary for discipleship. Verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So let me just encourage you through that last word, particularly those of you who are still in the throes of daily discipline. Sometimes it's several times a day for the same offense, the same attitude. Just keep at it. Don't lose heart. Be faithful. Be patient. Be diligent. Be sober. Be gracious, be self-controlled, do it in the context of community where you have questions, reach out to others for encouragement, maybe those that are ahead of you a step or two. All discipline, I would say, for the parent as well as for the child seems painful rather than pleasant in the moment. I didn't like disciplining my daughters. I'd much rather be just a sheer source of blessing, but really there is blessing in the discipline because that momentary pain, we had a couple of my girls that I swear if we had not disciplined them, like they would, they would seek to rule our home in ways that would not be pretty. Hope is one of them. She's sitting right here. She had a season when she was like three that like we sweared she was demon possessed. 
But and, and Peyton alike, before we moved back to Colorado, Peyton was just, she was, she was dominant. Like she would just dominate every moment in our home. Like she was always asserting like her desires and through just a season of discipline that quite honestly takes months and years. I think what you see is you see like both Hope and Peyton and our other girls too. There's a sense of security that they have in our home and who they are. Like you even see studies, scientific studies about how, and Pastor Mike brought this to my attention. I looked at some info even this morning, like how those who are taught self-control at early ages go on to be the most fruitful members of society. They're the most stable people we know in societal structures. Those who have learned self-control and not just to live by impulse and their constant winds and waves of desires. But just be reminded of this. For the moment, discipline will seem hard. At times it'll be painful. But look at the promise. But in the end, what does it bring? A peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. And that's our hope that ultimately all the discipline, all the moments, all the little bricks we pick up to shape our kids, build a foundation of gospel understanding that also shape them into men and women who love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength.